today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Not only does the Lord Jesus speak specifically to them, but he speaks to them actually the longest of all of the letters to this insignificant city. I want you to think about that. The next time that you start feeling small and insignificant in the world's eyes, when the enemy starts coming up to you and says, you know, you're of no real importance to anyone. You're important to Jesus. He gave his life for you. When you you start getting beat up by the world, and the world says that your life is of no effect and of no impact on anyone, understand that the eyes and the heart of Jesus are still out for you. There are days when serving the Lord seems like an impossible task, especially if you're not seeing the fruits of your labor. Pastor David wants to encourage us to keep pressing on. The Lord sees our efforts, and they will be rewarded. We may never see someone come to the Lord in our lifetime, But there will be a time in heaven when there's a line of people ready to tell us that they're there because of something that we did. Take heart, dear soul, and allow the Lord to refresh you in this journey. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Open Word. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who's his, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thyatira was an inland city. 
we've talked about these coastal cities thus far. Now we're kind of coming in on as we look at the different cities of the seven there in Revelation. Far, far removed from the coastal life. It didn't have a harbor, a port, so it kind of lost that. Uh, it was pretty much surrounded by these gentle sloping hills on one end or the other. There were two rivers that again kind of bordered its area. Pretty much it doesn't stand out historically at all. There's not a whole lot written about it in ancient times at all. It was just a city, just kind of there. As a matter of fact, archaeological digs, they, they discovered the existence of a community that was there actually 3,000 years before Christ, 3,000 B.C. That's just after the time of the flood. The principal deities of Thyatira, again, they went along with all of the ancient Greek and the, and the Roman gods and goddesses, but the chief one was um, Latian sun god Trimenos, Trimenaos or Trimenos, either one. But along with them, they also had... Uh, other Greek gods and Roman gods, Zeus, Artemis, and Sibyl. Because of their location, again, on the, on the main line of travel, the main line of trade, they pretty much did fairly well in this whole idea of manufacturing or as a marketing center, and that's pretty well what they're known for. And from the inscriptions that they find in the archaeological digs, they find that the trades that were actively involved in the area in the early time, particularly around the early, the, the first century time, Included, uh, coppersmiths, tanners, dyers, you know, people who dyed material, leather workers, wool workers, and linen workers. So it's like a clothing hub right there as well. So all of these things going on, as a matter of fact, we learn historically and archaeologically that, uh, Thyatara probably had more trade guilds or trade unions within their community for the size of it than any other community of that size and some even bigger than they had more various ones within that community than most every contemporary city in in that area and each one of these trade guilds they own property in their own name and they made contracts. They carried a whole lot of influence in the city, both in the whole area of politics and, and economy, as well as in the social and in the religious life. These trade unions, in essence, is what they were. And you need to understand, a lot like and some of you from the East Coast and the West Coast, some of you are from uh, uh, states that uh, the unions were very strong and powerful. They had a lot of pull and a lot of things. That's kind of the idea of what was going on in Thyatira. And pretty much, if you were going to get into a trade of any sort, you had to belong to one of these trade guilds, to one of these trade unions. The good thing about that was is that each one of these guilds, they had benefits. They uh, took action to protect the interest of their workers as well as the guild itself. But the bad part of it was is each one of these trade guilds had a particular deity that was theirs, that they worshipped as a trade union or a trade guild. And along with that, at all of their official meetings, uh, or any of their feasts, they always ended it again by playing homage to this particular god or goddess. Whenever these guilds held any banquets, many times, because the temples were the only place where you could get that many people in, the banquets were held at the temples, and the temples themselves would always include these sexual orgies, these wild feast, and this food that's been, again, dedicated to these gods or goddesses, these pagan idols. So this kind of put a dilemma, don't you think? 
on anybody who was a Christian, who wanted to join a particular trade union, who wanted to, you know, again, uh, work within the city, you had to be a member of a particular trade guild. And to refuse to join that trade guild, well, you risk a pretty good idea of losing income, losing uh, even your trade, and again, how, how difficult that would have to be. Again, their, their, their financial security for the Christians, uh, it was determined, again, by their participation in these guilds. And they would have found it pretty difficult to be able to stand for Christ and still be a member of that guild. Because part of what you had to do is be a partaker in what the guild did. So again, the temptation to compromise for them was always, always there. Some of you face that in your work life even now. Some of you face that in your family life even now. To get along with family, you've got to kind of pull back on your love and devotion and commitment to the Lord. You would like to go full bore for Jesus, but yet you know, man, within your family, that would cause quite a bit of problem. Or within your workplace, that would cause quite a bit of problem. What do you do about that? How do you stay true to Jesus when the press around you is so hard and difficult? In the biblical background that we know of of Thyatira, we remember, and we don't need to turn there, but in Acts chapter 16, you remember in one of Paul's journeys, he had left Philippi and he had gone down uh, into this area or in the area of Philippi and was ministering. And there was no synagogue in the area. Uh, and so, if you'll remember, he went over to the river and there were some women that were praying there. So, as they were there at the river, Acts 16, verse 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, and who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken by Paul. So Lydia... A woman, a female business person, she was a dealer in purple goods. Rather she sold the dye or rather she sold the, 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 the garments or just material of purple, we don't know for sure. But again, she was a seller of purple and she lived in Thyatira. She was also what we read in Acts. She was a worshiper of God. Now do you notice anything different? She was, it didn't say that she was Jewish. Doesn't say that she was a believer. She was a worshiper of God. And so usually when we see that, the best understanding we can find is she is one who had, con- a Gentile who had converted to Judaism, to the worship of Judaism. She wasn't a Jew herself, wasn't born a Jew, but she was a worshiper of God. And in the, the process of things, whenever there weren't enough Jewish men within a community to build a synagogue, then they would have to meet in various and others and assorted other areas. I believe it was how many men? Do you remember? Ten, ten men to, in order to even begin to build a Jewish synagogue within a community. So within that area, there weren't even ten Jewish men. And so this group of women were down at the river worshiping the Lord. And Paul comes down and ministers to them. And again, as he's met her, Luke tells us that as he shared with them about Jesus, in verse 14, it says, The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. I believe Lydia was a businesswoman who had a tender heart for the things of God. She lived in that area where there was so much pagan influence. 
had to be absolutely difficult. And here, as Paul opens the word to her, she receives those things. And it says in verse 15, And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. Well, Lydia's home ended up serving pretty much as a as a meeting place for the Christians there in Philippi for a season. We find out that uh, Paul and Silas, they ended up going into prison. After they got out of prison, for whatever time that they were there, they went back to Lydia's house. There was again a gathering of Christians there. Paul and Silas encouraged the believers while they were there uh, until they went on and traveled on further in their journey. Today, you go to Thyatira and pretty much... Anyone looking at Thyatira, kind of expecting the Roman ruins and stuff of some of these other ancient cities, you're going to be greatly disappointed. There's just not a whole lot there. There's just not a whole lot that they've seen. They have uncovered some things. Today, it's a Turkish town, about 80,000 people in it. Uh, again, it's situated pretty much on a flat area. Today, they produce olives, cotton, tobacco, graphite, wool, raisin, and you know what? And dyes still. They say that the dyes actually come, and I've heard a lot of different stories. Some of the stories, one of the ones I heard was that it actually comes from a root of a plant that is, again, indigenous to that area, and that's why that becomes such a, a, a popular time for, for them in that. We read in Revelation, first couple of verses, we find some interesting aspects, I think, of Jesus' message to this church. Jesus says to the angel of the church, in Thyatira, right, and we've talked about that already, about to the messenger, whether that be to the pastor, to someone who's going to bring a message to that church, or someone who is in leadership position over that church is pretty much what he's saying. To the angel of the church of Thyatira, right, these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. First off, as as we get into this, I want you to see, I want you to fully understand that though Thyatira was pretty much uh, probably the least interesting in forms of just about everything, not only their geographical location, it wasn't on the beach, okay, had no beachfront property, it was inland. Also, the fact of, of its importance among the cities. It was the least important of all these seven cities. Very little in, uh, historical significance to it at all. And yet, the heart of the Lord Jesus was toward that church. The heart of the Lord Jesus reached out to that church. When, you've got to remember, of, of just those seven cities, were there other churches going on during that time? Absolutely. There were churches in other areas also, but for whatever reason, and we really don't know whether it's the influence that John the Apostle had on those seven churches or what, but Jesus' message went to just these seven churches, and Thyatira, this little insignificant one, was one of them. The world didn't look at Thyatira and say, oh, hey, I get to move to Thyatira, and they're all excited about that. It was probably all oh, bummer. I got moved to Thyatira, Okay. I, I could name some cities, but we're not going to, I wouldn't do that to him. So the thing that I see about this, even in its insignificance, not only does the Lord Jesus speak specifically to them, but he speaks to them actually the longest of all of the letters. 
to this insignificant city. I want you to think about that. The next time that you start feeling small and insignificant in the world's eyes, when the enemy starts coming up to you and says, you know, you're of no real importance to anyone. You're important to Jesus. He gave his life for you. When you, when you, when you start getting beat up by the world, and the world says that your life is of no effect and of no impact on anyone, understand that the eyes and the heart of Jesus are still out for you. The word shows that over and over and over again. And I see that in this town or in this city of Thyatira. Also remember the words of Jesus, even when he spoke to the multitudes in Matthew chapter 10. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I've got to say it. We've got kind of a new security system here at the church. And uh, we've got some cameras and stuff in. We've got a monitor in the office. And when I walk into the office from the back side, I see the monitor. And, of course, if I'm walking into the office, the camera picks me up. And you know what side it picks me up? From the back side. I'm not this bald, people. It just looks that way to you, okay? When I look at myself in the mirror, actually, what I'm saying is, it's getting easier and easier for the Lord to number the hairs on some of our heads. Amen? But he says, do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than sparrows. Understand that. Understand, as he's going through these churches, out of all the churches that could have been picked out during that time, Thyatira, in an insignificant city, probably a very small fellowship, he understood that they were living in a situation that they were being pressed in on every side. Their, their, their faith was really being stretched because it was difficult for them to live, to make a living, still being a Christian, still standing with an not uncompromised uh, integrity in the midst of a city that pretty well required it. I believe it's because, again, the love and the care that Jesus had for them that he sends them this message. A message of praise, but it's also a message of warning and, again, uh, correction for them. Jesus describes himself as the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Do you realize that this is the only time in all of the book of Revelation that Jesus is described as the Son of God? The only time. It speaks greatly of his deity when it says the Son of God. Now, John, who wrote this at the Lord's leading and direction, of course, he also wrote the Gospel of John. And throughout the Gospel of John, we we read of Jesus being described or declared the Son of God. Even in his epistles, uh, particularly in 1 John, we read, I think, 13 different times, or 8 times, I'm sorry, 8 times, where he calls him the Son of God. Of God. But here in Revelation, this is the only place. And you gotta, you know, my mind sometimes kind of works those things. And you think, why? Why for them? Why for them? Because they were under such a hard press to worship these other deities and to move in compromise in their life to say, well, maybe it's okay just a little bit. Just a little bit of compromise. But Jesus says, tell them, son of God, the one who has eyes like flames, like flame of fire, and feet like fine brass. He's the one speaking to them. 
This whole idea of having eyes like a flame of fire, I believe also that speaks of his deity. It speaks again of that omniscience, his, his all-knowing, the fact that he's able to peer into the darkest of corners of every man's soul. Why? Those eyes of flame, they can just pierce right through you, pierce right through you. We might have something dark and hidden inside of us, gang, but Jesus sees that. He knows that. He knows every aspect of us. Nothing can be hid. No fear, no rebellion, no shame, no sin can be hidden from the eyes of Jesus. Again, all of these are made clear to the one that sees the very heart of man. He knows our heart better than we know ourselves. And we might think that we're getting away with something or something won't be seen. But the fact is, is the penetrating reality of his knowledge and his presence are always there. So the question I have for you tonight, why would you run from him? Where are you going to go? Bad boy, bad boy. Where are you going to hide? Why would we try to trick, deceive, or lie to the Lord? Just doesn't make any sense, does it? No. And yet so many people do that on a regular basis. We try to be on the outside something that we're really not. Rather than allowing the Lord to change the inside, we just put a fresh coat of paint on the outside. We, instead of running from him, instead of tricking him, instead of lying to him, we need to fall before him. Say, Lord, just restore my heart. Restore restore the freshness of my walk in you. Forgive me in those areas that I've compromised with the world. And just let me be pure before you. Because we also read that he has feet like fine brass. And again, this this speaks clearly of, of his omnipotence, his power, his all power. The actual word in the Greek has the idea of this finely polished bronze. It's an alloy of several different materials, but brightly, brightly polished. And outside of Solomon's temple, at the entry door, there were two columns, and those were polished bronze temples. And to the Jew, they represented the legs of God. As you entered into the temple, you're going to enter into his presence there. And so here we see Jesus declaring, I've got feet like fine brass or polished bronze. And again, I believe symbolizing that judgment of God. So with his eyes of flames of fire, his feet like polished brass, Jesus comes to see and he comes to judge the church. And what are the first words to this church? He actually brings them commendation, not condemnation. He brings and says, hey, you're doing a good job here in some areas. What does he say in verse 19? I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as far as your works, the last are more than the first. This was a busy, this was an active church. And from what Jesus says to them, they seem to be improving in each one of these areas. And to Jesus, from everything that you can see there to that point, that's a good thing. This is a commendation. This is not a a, a condemnation to them. He's commending them. You're growing. You're, You're doing better. Man, where you're at today is better than you were at the beginning. The 
the letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make a